God, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Sab. Hello, Jay. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Oh, I've been seeing you through foggy eyeballs. I was going to say, I didn't want to bring it up, but you mm. do look like you've uh, had a good time last night. <laughs> what did you get up to? Well, well, I think we found the best uh, cocktail bar Hello. in a long time. Really? Uh, best margaritas in Perth, big I reckon. Call. Big oh, call. That's a big I've tried a few in my day, Where Jamie. were you? <laughs> I don't doubt that. <laughs> Just a couple. Down at Scarborough. In Scarborough. Scarborough. Yep. Yeah. So, a uh, good mate's birthday. Yep. Um, we call him the Pope because his name's Francis. Okay. So, I call him Your Holiness. He, does he enjoy that? <laughs> yeah, he does. It's quite does. an intro, isn't it? Your Holiness. <laughs> Surely get a free drink. <laughs> Someone overheard that. Yeah, so we just, uh, so we camped in, well, we didn't camp. We actually stayed in a very nice hotel overnight so that we could play. Look at you. Play. Hard. Treating yourself with yeah. the holiness. This, with his holiness. His holiness. Yes, that's yeah. right. So well, it was a top evening, but, you know. So we all thought by at 11 o'clock last night, because we were just very uh, joyous. So we all went, oh, yeah, we're here right on the beach. Let's all get up at 6 o'clock and have a swim <laughs> I love in it the when ocean. you're at your most intoxicated. <laughs> That you plan to do your most ambitious early mm. morning things. Like, yeah, we're going to watch the sunrise. Yeah, That'll right. happen. <laughs> I've only had 14 margaritas and it's 11.30, but I'll definitely be here in six hours. Uh, well, needless to say, none of us made the swim. No? Okay. No. There's always I, tomorrow. I looked at, I looked from the window yeah. at like when I woke up, which was around 7.30. Just one eye struggling <laughs> to open. I thought the beach is a long way away. Yeah. You know, if you have to walk it. Yeah. <laughs> Just peer from the window. Yeah. If they had one of those flying foxes straight down there, I would have done that. Well, that might not have been good from an occupational health and safety perspective after no, your evening. Not not 20 floors up, probably no, not. That would have been fun. Up, picked up a fair bit of speed, though, I reckon, oh, by yeah. the time you hit the beach. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. So the trick is, if you want to see the morning sunrise mm. and you're out, yes, you have to keep going until the sunrise. It's the only way it happens. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I know totally that from agree. extensive experience in those areas. <laughs> I've road tested that theory quite a few times. Anyway, good to see that you're alive and doing okay. I'm up and robust. Yeah, feeling good. Hey, um, speaking of robust, we've um, got some new mates along uh, for the next few weeks, Grass yes. Trees Australia at grasstrees.com.au. Yeah, and they actually, these guys do amazing stuff because they go into areas where the bulldozers come in and take out every living green thing. Right. So they rescue the grass trees. Okay. And then they take them back to their nursery and they nurse them for a whole year before they release them. Right, so, so they kind of bring them back. Treat yeah, them well, yeah. give them a cuddle, yep, and then they go live somewhere else for a while. Yep, and because grass trees live for hundreds of years, really, you know, once you've got a grass tree, you've got it right until you drop dead anyway. Yeah, okay. Pass it on to your family. So you're get, getting bang for buck with a grass tree. <laughs> a lot of bang from your buck. Uh, so, uh, and Grass Trees Australia is a family-run business. Their two sons work with Justin and Leanne. I think grass trees are the most Stunning plants. They're making Amazing. a bit of a comeback. Definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're. Um, I think Aboriginal people have something like sixty uses for a grass tree. Really? Yep. They get all sorts of stuff from okay. it. Okay. You need make 
glue out okay. of it. Right. All right. Well, we might have to, um, I don't know, do a bit more on grass trees in mm, the next absolutely. week or so, I reckon. Um, before we get into that, uh, you've brought along. No, uh, you, you've brought along. Have I? Well, we've both brought along. We've both brought along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we're both very excited. About we are. This. Yeah. Uh, Paul Roy from Red Rock Nursery and uh, a bit of an expert when it comes to all things carnivorous plant wise. Mm. G'day, Paul. Hi. How are you going, guys? Yeah, good. Now, Paul, what a, uh, a very extraordinary species or genus, many genuses uh, to focus on carnivorous plants because they're extraordinary plants, aren't they? They are. They are very interesting. I mean, they're, they're, they're all over the world, carnivorous plants. WA has a very high number of sundews, which is yeah. uh, uh, sticky plants that catch insects with their leaves. Um, but yeah, they are. There's a whole lifetime of exploring to do with these plants for me. Mm. Where, where have you explored? Uh, I've done a little bit in the Philippines and Australia and South America, New Zealand. So yeah, I've had a little bit of a look around. So are they all sort of tropical plants? No, no, no. no. Um, they range from. The tropics, as in like your pitcher plants in Southeast Asia, all the way. There's even, Saracenis even grow in like areas where they get snow, covered in snow and stuff really? like that. So they get dormant in the winter and then grow through the spring, summer and autumn. That's wow. interesting because when you think carnivorous plants, you immediately think of the tropics, right? Mm. In a, not to an area where, where it snows, that they can survive in those kind of areas. I know, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, um, I mean, they even come in the most minuscule tiny traps that would trap like the tiniest insects and things to big traps the size of footballs that wow. can trap rats and you know frogs and things like that so that's very wide and very interesting what was it that kind of led you to these to these plants in this area where did that passion start oh i suppose i was just like anyone else the first the first time you see a venus fly trap you know everyone's amazed mm, mm. you know it's an incredible thing and i suppose because i was already into plants and then you sort of like come across these carnivorous plants and you start thinking wow this is pretty cool and then you start learning about all the other ones uh adrian slack actually brought out a book uh, on carnivorous plants and my auntie gave that book to me and that's what started it oh, really? it had all the different types in there you know and that's what started my love and i sort of just took it from there. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned the Venus fly trap because that's probably the most well-known, right? And the yeah. most popular. Mm, sure. I remember when you're a kid, you kind of mm-hmm. hear about that and you think, oh my gosh, how cool is this thing? Yeah. You yeah. Know? That's probably where the passion starts for a lot of people in that kind it of is, area. It is. And then you see them in action and it's yeah. like, whoa, come Pretty on, this amazing. isn't a plant. Yeah. This is something else, like an animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So what do they need then? What's sort of... I mean, are they difficult to grow? Well, I suppose they're fairly demanding of the, the right conditions. Mm-hmm. Once you've got the right conditions and the right growing method for these plants, they're not hard to grow, okay, but it's just a matter of maintaining the right environment and uh, looking after them, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I should mention... With the carnivorous plants, there's, you know, a lot of different genre of them and they all are a little bit different. Right. So um, I tend to break them down into uh, the Nepenthes. Yes. Which um, 
are from the tropical areas, Southeast Asia and stuff like that. Um, and then even within the Nepenthes, you have Nepenthes which grow at sea level all the way up to two, 3,000 metres. Mm. So there's a lot of climatic variation and so different growing environments. So the plants that come from the, the mountains can take very cold temperatures and then the ones that grow down at sea level obviously need a lot warmer really like the warm sort of tropical conditions so yeah and, and then in between you have the range the intermediates and so forth but um generally for nepenthes um perth's got a really good climate for them right you know if you can just sort of um protect them from the really hot dry weather that we get yep it doesn't really get too cold here for them yep so they're really happy with that so that sort of environment for nepenthes and then for the other plants, which is your Venus flytraps, your Saracenias, um, which is uh, another type of trumpet pitcher plant, so an, another type of trap that where the insects fall into it. Um, so you've got the Saracenias, the Venus flytraps, and the sundews. And they all grow um, through the spring, summer, and autumn, and then in the winter they go dormant. So they won't do much through there. They'll tend to slow down. So you have that kind of two different types so the carnivorous plants you've got the nepenthes pitcher plants and then you've got the other ones and then there's there's all the other ones like the cephalotus which grows down south here an yeah. amazing plant as you know and there's others there's yeah. others as well but most of the stuff that i'm selling is falls into those two groups right mm. and uh, so presumably people want to know um how to how to care for them and in in the long term mm. so is so perth has a good climate for them perth then? yeah perth does have a good climate mainly because we get a lot of sun and we get a lot of warmth right so with these carnivorous plants that's what gets them going the sun and the warmth and the thing though is that once we start getting a bit too warm and as our humidity drops as we go through summer um, we need to supply extra humidity for them because right. uh, they like humid conditions. Pretty much all these carnivorous plants, they like humid conditions. So right. it's the one thing that we kind of got to add into the equation. So we've got the temperatures, we've got lots of light, strong light, we've got light hours. But uh, uh, then eventually, once you start getting over about 35, yep. it seems to be the point where it's a bit hot. And it's mainly hot in terms of, you know, your pots heat up. Right. So it's the roots of the plant ah, that are heating yeah, up yeah. in the pots. So right. a lot of the time... Uh, growing plants in big, you know, like container gardens where yes. you've got a larger mass of soil yep. really helps because the larger mass of soil won't heat up as quickly. So okay. the temperature is more even. Yep. Um, same thing with the Nepenthes, getting them up into bigger pots so that that soil mass doesn't fluctuate too much. And so do you fertilize them or what? how do you know if they're eating well? Okay. So carnivorous plants, obviously, they catch insects. Yes. Now, they feed off insects. Yeah. So right from the outset, I'm going to say that you do not have to fertilize carnivorous plants. Right. Okay. Uh, they can get everything they need from insects. And stuff like your Saracenias, they are absolute devastating at eating insects right. i mean they catch hundreds and hundreds of insects oh, so you, really? if they're outside and they and and the insects can get to them you'll never have to put insects on they they catch so many do they attract the insects they definitely do okay yeah their colors uh they use nectar like as a bait to right. bring insects in yeah 
um, and pheromones and things like that as well to attract insects. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, you don't have to uh, fertilize your carnivorous plants. And again, to break it back into those two groups, so your nepenthes um, are plants that will take fertilizers. And I found because it was so hot here, and it, you know, hot, so the sun is the energy for plants to grow. So usually everything's got to be hand in hand. So if there's a lot of energy, yeah. that means they're going to need a lot of food. Right. The other part of the equation. Yeah. And then, um, so Nepenthes, you can fertilize Nepenthes. Right. Um, and I would recommend going light. Yeah. So fertilizers usually come with a full strength sort of ratio. So you want to go about a quarter of that. So whether it's uh, slow-release fertilizers or liquid fertilizers or anything like that, um, about quarter strength, and um, you can fertilize into the pitches themselves. Oh, or you can fer- really? Yep, yep, wow. definitely. Well, it's all just food in the pitches. Yeah, true. Yeah, so mm. they, they're not fast. They're not yeah. <laughs> so what about pollination then, Paul? So if they catch insects... Hmm. Do, are they pollinated by insects as well? But if if your pollinator you end up eating, then it can't bugger off, like fly from the whatever it's trapped in and pollinate. How does the pollen thing Yeah, work, good question, it? good question. And I, I do sometimes wonder that myself, you know, like the Saracenias, they do catch a lot of insects and a lot of bees. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The, and, and a lot of the flies and that that usually do all the pollinating stuff like that. But... You know, Mother Nature just has that way of everything's in balance. Balancing. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, the bees, I've actually got a hive at my place. Yeah. And the bees, they'll come in and a few of them will, will get caught by the plants. Oh, okay. But then, you others know, don't. others don't. Mm. You know, everything seems to work out with these plants. It's not like you have to worry about that type of thing. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and then on top of that... Um, the Saracenias, for one, they'll sort of put their flowers up first. Right. So when they come out of their dormancy, usually the first thing they do is send up their flower. And it's quite beautiful flower as well. Yeah. Really nice, yeah, really nice flower. And uh, so they sort of get the pollination out of the way, and then the pitches are just starting to grow, then they open up. So they kind of, yeah, they do kind of use the insects, but first, okay. first for the pollination, then to eat them. Okay. They kind of feel like, to me, the most stealth plants going around they're like the undercover agent of the plant world you know you'd never suspect if you're a little fly going around or a native bee or something that that guy's gonna be my end oh for sure do you ever get lucky and you just turn around and bang you see the moment where it all you do happens you sure do yeah 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 and you see it a lot um venus fly traps the name of venus fly that's really good name for them because they really do catch mostly flies right yeah it's it's like all the traps wonderful yeah all the traps will, because once they catch something and they they close up on it, and then they use enzymes and stuff to break down the insect, and they'll get like break it down to liquid, so all the hard exoskeleton of the insect still left. So when it opens up, it still looks like a fly, but all wow. the goodness is gone from yeah. it, you know. Right. Yeah. So um, it's it's and and stuff like the Saracenias and the Nepenthes, you've got them growing there. The ants will find them, right. and then the ants want to get at the nectar so uh-huh. there'll be lots of ants so they'll tell the whole clan mm. yep this is mm. where there's a food source so they come there and obviously they've got a short memory or something because <laughs> <laughs> their buddies are going and dropping in there 
and the plants are eating them, but they still keep coming for a feed. So obviously, not every single insect that visits the the trap actually dies. What happened to Tom? I don't know. He went for a feed somewhere. <laughs> Did he come back? Nah. You reckon we should maybe? Nah, we'll be fine. It's okay. Let's see if we can find him. Oh, hello. That's yeah. funny though, because you just said before you. you that they're more like animals than plants in a lot of ways. Is there, mm. might be a really dumb question, but is their makeup, their biology kind of differ to, to other plants in that way? Not really, no. No, the same, same that way, but they just, they've just evolved a really sinister and complicated methods about what they do. Like, you know, like the Nepenthes, they, they have the nectar there and they have uh, the pheromones and just the way they guide the insects in, like on top of the lid, certain patterns there for insects that are flying right so stuff that they recognize colors that they recognize and when a nepenthes starts growing it grows as a rosette Mm -hmm. and those pictures are usually red and quite colorful and they have like this ladder at the front of the picture for crawling insects to climb up to get into the picture okay and then as the plant grows it turns into a vine and that vine scrambles up other over vegetation and the pictures change that's a really amazing thing. So they don't need to catch the crawling ones anymore. So oh. the pitchers lose their wings at the front, the ladder. Yeah. And the pitchers, as they climb, they always go more the colors, um, you know, like the pale colors, like whites and creams and stuff like that, and lose the deep red colors. Right. And so obviously that attracts flying insects a lot more. Mm. Yeah. So and then and particularly they, night flying things. Too, night flying things, yeah. exactly. They they catch a lot of moths and stuff. Yeah. yeah, you find that with them. They catch a lot of moths. So it's 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 unbelievable. It's almost like the plants. Uh, I guess they've evolved, and yeah. through evolution, the ones that have evolved the right way have survived. Yeah. But it, it almost seems like they've got a brain, and they've yeah, kind of worked yeah, yeah. out, and they're kind of like, hey, we'll try this, we'll try this pattern, we'll try this color. <laughs> How incredible. It's kind of like the darker side of the garden in a, yes. in a way, right? But it's really appealing. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. So maybe the day of the triffids, you know, could be a true story. One, you know, the triffids of... No. No, don't know that one. Okay. It was a very <laughs> well, famous it's novel that came out in the 1970s. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember it. It's great. It's yeah. a great story. And then, and then they made a movie. So it's about mm. these vines that actually take over the entire planet. Okay. Um, and they eat people. Right. Okay. They're proper carnivorous plants. Yeah, that spooked me. Yeah, when I remember, I was pretty young when movie. that came out, and Mum wouldn't mm. let me watch it because it was oh, like yeah. too spooky. <laughs> so, no, you'll get nightmares. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that's that's probably why she wouldn't let me watch that. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. You thought you were protecting me, and now I'm surrounded by them. That's interesting, though. What what role do you reckon they play in your garden and in that that ecosystem amongst kind of other plants and um, yeah. insects and things like that? Yep, that's a great question, and that's something that I'm learning as time goes. And um, I think if people get the idea that one plant at their back door is going to rid their whole house of flies. No. That's not going to happen. Okay, that. Yeah, that won't happen. But carnivorous plants definitely will catch. I mean, you know yourself, Sabrina, it's all about balance. Yeah. You can't go in and, you know, and this is the way that the uh, nursery industry is moving. We're moving away from chemicals. Yes. We're moving away from trying to control it mm. and come at it more 
from that point of view of balance with Mother Nature. Mm. So I mm. think these plants kind of fit in there. So they, one of the things, if, if a plant's going to attract, say, ants to yep. it, okay, because yep. it produces nectar, then ants, a lot of these ants, you end up with a lot of problems with mealybug and scale. Yep. It's the ants that take them around, right? Yep. So they take them to plants because they farm them because yeah. these insects um, get straight into the sugars in the plants and mm. then the, the ants can feed off the insects. Mm. So when the a plant produces nectar for them and produces sugars that they can come and feed off, then they're kind of distracting them from your other plants. Yep. So they're working in that way. They're also working in the way of kind of keeping, when, when we get outbreaks of insects, like, you know, all of a sudden there's thousands of flies around. Yep. Yep. Your plants will catch a lot. Yep. They will really, you know, go to town and have yeah. a feast and a banquet. Yep. Stuff like your Saracenias and Nepenthes, they can take hundreds and thousands of insects in a very short time. Yeah. And so they, they kind of work in that way where they kind of, they have their role. And um, it seems to be the more that I've moved towards a more balanced type of garden where yeah. you have a whole range of plants ranges of environments um you'll get a lot more range of insects and and it, so it works on with that it works on with just the balance of things i think you're right in the in the nursery industry now they're realizing that that using the overuse of pesticides actually once you take that 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 whole insect population out of the equation then other things that rely on insects for food, which is many, many things need insects um, in, in their diet, then it starts collapsing that, that circle down. And I know in my garden I've never, ever used pesticides or herbicides. I, I don't get an outbreak of various pests because there's something that will eat something else. Exactly. And yep. it's a matter of just allowing that balance it can take a few years for that balance to occur mm, mm, yeah. but the minute you put pesticides insecticides in your garden then you disrupt that balance yep. but what a beautiful thing to grow carnivorous plants as an insect controller yep i i'm i'm envisaging a my back table with a with <laughs> with just this massive array of succulent plants in a purpose-built trough sort of thing um, that would catch the mosquitoes and the flies. That would be marvellous. Yeah, yeah. That, that would work? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sucker. Look, you know mozzies love me, right? Yeah, so they do. I'm mm. instantly thinking, let's get a couple of these out the back <laughs> <laughs> just to save my shins and ankles every time I go outside and sit out on the back deck for a drink. But how many would you need, do you reckon? To, for, say, for, you know, the average back patio area yeah. and, and you really are interested in, in getting mosquitoes and flies, yeah. how many do you reckon you'd need? Well, luckily, um, sundews are very prolific. Mm. So they're self-fertile. They produce a lot of seed very quickly. So you can start off with one plant yeah, and then let it flower, get the seed and start off thousands of plants, Wow! literally, just How like that. How small is the seed? Is it tiny? Like very tiny, yeah. Yeah, like lettuce seed, smaller. Right. Yep. So how many, so one plant would 
produce lots and lots of thousands seeds. of seeds really yeah and it's that easy and they're so easy to grow sundews venus flytraps and saracenia they grow in acidic soil right so the main thing and this is why with them with that group i was saying the nepenthes you can fertilize yeah for these other guys i would recommend don't fertilize i would yep. recommend let them catch insects yep because they're acidic soil they grow in basically raw peat oh. so very super acidic so fertilizers you add in are bound up anyway can't yeah, be that's used right. yeah. and they're going to create um, a toxic environment in the soil so you best to just let them catch insects yeah so basically all you need is damp peat moss spread the seed on top keep it moist and the plants will grow and they grow fast and, and like i say pretty. and they're pretty and they're and they're very um you know you can handle these plants mm. you can um you can grow them in any you could you, you could grow them on wet bricks mm. if the if the bricks stayed wet all the time they would just happily grow there they can grow um in pots they can grow in bog gardens they can grow on the edge of ponds you know they can grow in hanging baskets it's all just as long as there's enough moisture there for them, yep. they'll grow. And um, how much light do they need? Well, um, they like most plants. They'll grow slightly different depending on the amount of light that you give them. So a lot of times when you see these really colourful, rich colours in plants, it's from very bright light. And you know, carnivorous plants is the same. So that's one side of it. But then you know, people are going to say, "Oh, so you put them in the sun." But then you've got to work out just how much sun that they can handle before, like I say, the pots start heating up and they start suffering. So they sundews, if they're growing in low light levels, they'll tend to be more green. Mm -hmm. And then like longer leaves and bigger leaves because they're trying to make the leaves, you know, trying to maximize the light that they can get. And then when they're growing in more sun, they'll be more stocky, robust and brighter. Right. Yeah. So I would say anywhere from dappled sun mm -hmm. to full sun for in our summer sort of aim for about six to eight hours of full sun right and hopefully right. not through that real hot part hot of the day part. yeah because yeah. you see all the sundews down in the jarrah forests in mm. the southwest and there's so many different species yeah different yeah leaf. yeah and those are tuberous sundews most of them so most of them grow through the winter so right, right through the summer you know they die back and that little bulb in the ground stays there until the rains come and then they'll grow again. So they're only growing for about three or four months. Right. Yeah. Given that they're, you know, you said they're kind of easy to grow mm -hmm. and they've got this, you know, really interesting side to them. Are they a good way to get kids uh, into, into plants in the backyard? Definitely. Yeah. Yep. They're great, especially sundews because they can take a bit of neglect, you know, so, and they can handle kids putting insects in there and grabbing <laughs> the leaves and, you know, pull a leaf off and, you know, it'll just grow new leaves. Pope so they're a great stick. one. Yeah, that's a great plant, especially if you can kind of follow it through that flowering stage and the seed setting stage and get them to grow their own plants. Oh, God, that'd you be know? amazing Kids for love them. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Know? I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, might have needed a few of those in the schoolyard, I reckon. <laughs> Would have been interesting. I don't want to go to the extreme too much, but earlier you said, you know, obviously these plants eat insects, but you mentioned that some get so big that they can eat mice. Mm. How, how big is that and where's that carnivorous plant found? Because that sounds like it might take my finger if I get too close to it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the Nepenthes. So, right. yeah, that's... Um, so they're basically the one that starts off as a rosette, turns into a vine. 
um, they're from Southeast Asia, and they range the different species, something like 170 different species. Some of them have pitches that big, can hold like two litres of water. Um, massive, massive things. And But it, it's, it's way more interesting than that. They actually um, have different relationships with different animals. Um, oh. There's there's certain nepenthes that uh, that have these shrews, like a little rodent, yeah. that actually um, sit on the pitcher and eat the nectar that it that they exude, and then they do a little poop Poo. in the pitcher, oh, so fertilizer directly in there. How clever is that? Yeah. So that's mm. recycling at its best. Really. <laughs> that's right to it the is, source, it isn't is. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good relationship because the shrews get their little feed. Yeah. Now and then, though, one, one will falling. slip in. Yeah, it's going to happen, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I don't know if it's apparently the plants produce uh, drugs so that ah, insects and animals so get, get drugged. Dopey. They get a bit dopey. They get a bit, you know. And boom. No worries here. Yeah, I'll get off one leg here and reach up for that bit, you know. So, yeah, these plants are way beyond your imagination as to what they can come up with and... Uh, Obviously, you know, those plants that grow the really big pitches, uh, they're a bit harder to grow than the sort of stuff that I sell. Yeah. I'm selling stuff that's super hardy, super tolerant of a wide range of conditions, yeah. but can still grow pretty big. Yeah, well, yeah, I've seen some of your plants are enormous. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they can get out of control. To hack them down with a machete after a while. <laughs> <laughs> was there a bit of guess and check with it when you started growing them here about seeing how they, you know, thrived in these conditions and working out what was best for them? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, this way with any plants, isn't it? Yeah. You start yeah, off with some. With yeah, every yeah. plant. You yeah. know, you you start off and you might have an idea if someone's given you some, you know, pointers that'll sort of start you off, and then it's a matter of kind of observing. You need to get deep into it with plants, don't you? You yeah. kind of observation is the thing. Observation, absolutely. And and you you're so right, you know, because I know even with some of my plants that like with begonias, so I can have them in the same soil, the same regime, exactly the same. But if I move the pot to different positions, they fare very differently. Mm. So. But you only you only get to know that through actually observing, and that's the beautiful thing with nature, because you have to observe it to actually understand what's going on, or not even to understand, but to notice changes. Yeah. So once you notice changes, then you go, I wonder why that happened. Mm. So then you have a look at the little research. So I can understand, you know, particularly with your carnivorous plants. I mean, once you started researching that, you must have just been going, oh, my God, this is like these are, these are bloody intelligent plants. They, yeah. they really – and that whole thing about, you know, the, all the plants that we have in rainforests that we don't even know what they do. So For when sure. you – when you look at a carnivorous plant that actually has a drug in it that dopes the the, the eater uh, that becomes eaten, uh, is imagine doing research into that. Yeah. That would be. I have done. I oh, haven't have felt yeah. the effects yet, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to take. But um, you know. <laughs> it's amazing, though, isn't it? Like it's it is. Just, it is. It's mind blowing. 
Well, I think that's the beauty of nature. You know, this world that we're living in now, it's really high technology. Yep. Um, and I think the reason people are getting into plants a lot more now is because plants kind of force you to be present. They yeah. force you to just kick back a little bit, put it into neutral, and just immerse yourself in it. And that's the way with plants. You've got to immerse yourself. You've got to be out there at different times and find out, you know, what the weather's doing at different times, what just happened today was really hot and windy, what happened there, what I'll have to do. Mm. And, um, you know, so it sort of brings you back more to that, to to yourself, you know. Centres. Centres you, yeah, and mm. uh, awakens all these other senses that, mm. you know, mm. sort of tend to be, I don't know, not used as much these days, you know. There's a tactile sense to it too, you know. Yeah. You get yeah. a bit dirty... Uh, like you said, the other senses come into play that you can feel stuff and you can see the results and learn and make mistakes and, you know, kind of beats looking at your phone when you get home from work, right? You know, uh, most definitely because it broadens your whole horizon. So, mm. you know, we all work on computers and phones and so your vision is really narrow and, and it's that band that you're just in that little vortex. But when as soon as you walk out into nature... It expands the whole world mm. and, and you're not in control of it, basically, which I think is a wonderful thing. Mm. There's something in that. No yeah. control. I no like that. No control. Yeah. You, can't, you can't control everything in nature. We keep on trying to do it, of course. Yeah. Um, but what we have to do is observe it and try and learn from what's going on there. For sure. And, I, you know, I always quite often get these questions about the carnivorous plants. How do I grow them? Mm. How much water do I give them? That yep. type of stuff. And it's really hard because I, I kind of want to say to people, you, you, you've got to start back in the building blocks of it all. I can't tell you how to look after a plant until you understand the difference between, um, you know, the soil is, is, is wet enough already or is mm. it dry yet? So you've kind of got to learn these things. Mm. And then once you start to learn them, these things start to make sense mm. you, know, you kind of learn the basics about how you know um okay so say a plant's uh you know sitting in water all the time now some plants they rot from that type of thing won't mm. they yeah absolutely so yeah <laughs> so but then if they're too dry well the plants aren't getting enough moisture and they're going to dehydrate so then mm. it's working out that right thing and it's going to depend on your environment at your house or wherever yeah. you're growing the plants mm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of everything's about learning. I can't really tell people mm. water it once a week or water it twice a week because it all depends on their specific environment. Yeah, where it is. Mm. Yeah. And like you say, you move a plant, yep. uh, you know, it's, it's like us going from, um, just say, for instance, inside a nice aircon out into the hot weather. Yep, yep. You know, yep. we're going to need to drink more water. That's why I say to, to gardeners, one of the most important tools that you ever have is your finger, which you stick in the soil and see if it's wet or not, mm. uh, and your eyeballs to actually see what's happening. Yeah. But you yeah. have to stop. You have to stop and look. And that's, you know, that's the lovely thing. I go out into my garden every single morning, make a cup of tea, go straight out in the garden. Try and remember to put clothes on before I go. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but there is something different every single morning. There sure is. Every there sure morning is. there's yep. something different out yep. there. Yeah, there's always 
some plant going through a different stage or mm. something coming into flower or mm. something seeding or well, you see always that you haven't seen before or birds that you haven't seen before yeah yeah might not see them again if you got a few of those carnivorous <laughs> plants around so <laughs> might be a one and only introduction <laughs> Well, I mean, say the sundews, for instance, um, you know, the white cabbage moth. Yes. That's a big pest, right? Yeah, right? absolutely. And you eat all your yeah. cabbages and yep. your kale and yep. all that, right? Those sundews can actually catch them. Really? No joke. Wow. That's a great tip. Sundews all around your brassicas. Yeah, and another use for them is to catch fungus gnats. People are having a lot of problems oh, yeah, with fungus yeah, gnats yeah, yeah, lately. Yeah. Sundews are really good at catching fungus gnats. You know what else is really good for fungal gnats is um, potato, pieces of potato oh. that you cut into tiny little squares. There must be something about the starch in potato. So what happens is they lay their eggs in the potato. Oh. So you just change your potatoes every three days. You freeze them and bin them or cook them up. Why not fry them up uh, with the dirt and everything in it? Um, And then you completely break the cycle down. Wow. Works a treat. I don't know why it works, but it works. That's a cool tip. That's Mm. that's for your fungus. Potatoes. Yeah. Just potatoes. Something simple as that, you know. Yeah, rather than pesticides and herbicides. Mm. And then you get to eat the spoils. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You've kind of gone and seen these... Um, carnivorous plants all around the world given they are unique and what they do do they hold any um, special meaning to you know different indigenous cultures around the world are they are they looked upon like that um a little bit nepenthes in in asia they use the the pitchers to cook rice in yeah right yeah really so, yeah yeah they, they'll, they'll use it to cook rice or before the pitcher opens like as it slowly swells and the bud swells and it gets bigger and bigger just before it opens there's fluid already in there and that fluid is drinkable oh right as well so but yeah nothing really sacred right esoteric wise just more in a practical sense yeah they're useful for stuff yeah i guess that's it yeah Yeah. i guess back in you know ancient civilizations i suppose they didn't really you know look to that type of stuff too often and a lot of these plants are in fairly remote places yeah. as well yeah yeah are there would there be plenty out there that we still don't know about in kind of dense rainforests i guess there the would yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, i mean nepenthes they're discovering new species all the time um actually i just remembered the aboriginal people use the sundew you know i was saying they have a tuba yes yes, yes. Uh, the tubers have a kind of an ink in them oh. and the aboriginal people use it use that ink Oh, wow. As well. So they've probably got stories. They've probably got uses. Yeah, definitely, because they are masters Mm. of using every single part of the plant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even the poisonous ones, they they knew how to actually get rid of the toxins too. And then, you know, after a period of three weeks, they could eat them, which is what knocked off a lot of the early explorers because they (laughs) saw Aboriginal people gathering these plants but what they didn't see was the three-week-long process that they have of trying to get rid of all the poison in it. So they squaffed it all down, and that was the end of that little crew. Yeah, cop yeah. that. <laughs> it was like a little bit of revenge for them there. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, sure. we've, we've bought you some tucker. <laughs> <laughs> the picnic's on us. Yeah, see you later. <laughs> I like it. Hey, um, Paul, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Um, 
Gonna have to get a few carnivorous plants around Absolutely. my place, I reckon. And sundews are beautiful; they're the prettiest little things. Yeah, so yeah great plants. We'll we'll get we'll do that, Jamie, at your place. We'll do a big. Might do a little table. a little test and just see how they go. Maybe I can report back and yeah. let you know as well. Mm. It'll be a bit of fun. See if it's still alive. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Prove <laughs> me right, please. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone can make it not work, it's me. <laughs> hey, Paul, that was fascinating. Thanks so much for coming in. And uh, yeah, great to meet you. Thanks, Jamie. How good. It was awesome. Um, Paul Roy from Red Rock Nursery. Um, go down and see some carnivorous plants. Mm, um, absolutely. Sab, good to see you. Well, thank you. And next next time you see me, I'll be looking so much healthier, I feel sure. Yeah, you've pulled off the hangover <laughs> well. Um, and thanks uh, for our mates at Grass Trees Australia coming on board for the first week. This week, um, go to grasstrees.com.au or pay them a visit. Put one of those little ancient plants in your garden and then have some car... You could have your grass trees at the front and your carnivorous plants at the back. Sounds like a winner. Mm. Let's do it.